Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs. Uh, we are starting in chapter 1. Uh, although first I should talk about the author. Um, it's it's debated. I think traditionally it was seen as being written by Solomon because it says the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Um, now other people, many people think that it was written, maybe Solomon had it written, like people in his court. I've always struggled whenever I've read it with the idea that this could be Solomon because Solomon had so many women. Now, there is something about lust, something new that's exciting. So it's certainly possible, but some of the language, as I recall, haven't read it in a year, but uh, there's something in the language. It's like, how can you say that, man? You got so many wives. Uh, um, Although it could have been when he only had a few wives (laughs) I don't know but or it's it's written you know it's maybe a collection uh compiled of of love poetry compiled by Solomon into a book that is certainly possible um anyway so that's that's a little unclear because the obvious I'm something in the bible says it's from Solomon I'm generally going to say well it's from Solomon but there's just a lot of reason to believe this probably wasn't just written by Solomon about Solomon. Could have been written by Solomon collecting uh, the wonderful love poetry of his court, perhaps, into one compilation. Um, but but the idea that this is just Solomon's life is a little hard to get your mind around, but although possible. So, who knows? Um, and... Um, so traditionally, Israel looked at this as a metaphor for um, uh, for God being the man and Israel being the woman. And then the church took that concept and turned that into um, uh, Christ and his church. And there's absolutely things that the Lord can speak to you about along those lines. So that's powerful meaning, whether or not the entire thing has that meaning since it seems to be kind of a collection, it's more, it's a book where the Lord can speak to you a lot in various parts, but it's certainly not a theological work as a whole, it doesn't appear to me. Um, my wife loves this book, and I struggle with this book, so this will be interesting. So depending on which version you're reading, it might say um, bride or young woman, uh is the one speaking, which apparently is not exactly in the original text, but if you read the Hebrew, you know by the uh, gender placed in the in the words themselves who is speaking. So a, a lot of uh, translations include that to kind of so you can keep track of who's speaking, because this is more like in a, a play style versus just uh, prose. There's an old song, your love is better than wine. <laughs> I can't, whenever, whenever I know a song that uses scripture, man, I can't read it any other way. Um, so I, I'm not going to have a lot of comments on all the poetry. I'm going to just read through it and comment when I have a comment. And I don't have a feeling that's going to be a whole lot, but we'll see. I will say that, so the the theme of this is is love between a man and a woman um and absolutely it implies the love of god towards us his bride um 
And so it, it maybe not every line specifically, but it absolutely can be read like that. And with any part of scripture, the Lord can lead you to something and speak to you profoundly through anything. And so there's certainly, I don't, I don't honestly know that the Lord has ever led me to this book. Um, but that's, you know, that's just me. That doesn't mean anything. Um, but he can, and there's very clear imagery uh, throughout the Bible using this theme of God or Christ and his bride. And uh, so so that, and if you read Ephesians 5, I think it is, um, it, it draws that out. What, what does that allegory mean? And it's very deep and profound. And um, so, I, you know, the, these are good things to meditate on as far as that goes. But it's also God has designed family. He started, he made Adam and he says, the man's alone and that is not good. And I think that's the first thing he said that was not good, right? And then so he made Eve, woman. And then he said, all right, this is good. We're going to have a family. We're going to, you know, be fruitful and multiply. God's whole design was to multiply his glory in mankind through families and that fathers would teach sons and then his wisdom his love his truth his power his glory would all spread and he would have uh, families kingdoms of priests and kings that would go on sharing his glory his wisdom his love with all of creation that all starts with a family and so the the love between a man and a woman is designed to help perpetuate that. And so this this book, um, you know, it, it, it is about that, that they, they have this, this love and uh, they're expressing it through poetry. <laughs> and so uh, whether I like this, this style of poetry or not, I do think it's quite funny. Um, so the poetry that we're going to encounter is very, uh, very old school. And Anyone who wrote these kind of lines today would be laughed at for being ridiculous. Um, but this was thousands of years ago, and apparently they thought this was wonderful love poetry. And so you just have to understand it was a different time and, um, and see what kind of meaning is there in these visuals that the author is painting um, you know so what, what, what does he mean? what's the What's the value in that? How, if I put myself in their time, why would this be a wonderful image to compare different parts of my love to? Then you have this chorus in the second part of verse 4, which is clearly the young woman you know, of, of Israel, of Jerusalem, uh, praising, saying, we're happy for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. Um, so, you know, you can see how it could be confusing. Is this about Solomon being the man? But it, you could also say this is all the women love uh, Solomon. Well, I don't know how to take that. It's it's complicated, and but it makes sense if it's a collection of poetry. Verse 5, she doesn't hurt for... Uh, uh, well, so she's dark but lovely. What she's saying is, her brothers made her work out in the fields. And so it was, um, in that culture, 
being uh being baked by the sun was a sign that you weren't rich enough to to be you know in this is especially i'm sure i would think this applies more to women than men but it means you weren't uh, able rich enough or able enough to you know uh, high be in luxury you had to be working the fields which meant you're poor and uh so um being dark was not seen as attractive i i've always found it kind of ironic in pretty much most of the cultures of the world uh the the lighter skinned people are considered that's like a superior quality and yet for white skinned people we all want to be tan <laughs> so everybody uh, everybody wants what they don't have the grass is greener on the other side so anyway she she says, I am dark but beautiful. So on one hand, she's feels uh, kind of uh, not sufficient for the love of this man because she, she knows she's, uh, she's got suntanned or sunburned um, features, face, skin. Um, but on the other hand, she knows she's beautiful. So that's, that's interesting. So it's interesting. I need to get off this topic soon because I'm not going to solve it. Um, but I, I've got side-by-side -side NLT and NASB. And NLT, just so the heading starting for verse 8 is young man. And NASB is Solomon, the lover speaks. And I'm, you know, NASB is considered like the most word-for-word uh, -word translation. So to me, if it says Solomon speaks, that that means this is Solomon. Um, the, on the other hand, though, titles generally... Are, are not part of the Bible. They were added later. And so if um, that's how you can have uh, Bibles with totally different titles and totally different sections, and to, cause, because the authors of the, the modern authors of the Bible who made it easier to read, you know, the Bible didn't have chapters, it didn't have verse numbers, it was just a collection of scrolls. And that later it got compiled as a Bible. And then somewhere along the way, they said, you know, this is kind of difficult to read. This is a huge book, thousands of pages, and it's hard to kind of find your place in it. And how, if I tell you about a spot in the Bible, how do you find it? So they said, well, let's make up, I'm assuming this is how it went. Let's make up chapters and verse numbers, and then we can find what we need. Okay. And then along came the way they said, well, we're printing books these days. Let's let's make it easier for people to find things, not by chapter and verse, but by theme or by what's going on. So they added these subtitles. So unless NASB knew something here, the fact that the subtitle says Solomon, uh, I'm going to ignore, but I don't completely ignore it. And then 12 and 13 puts king and lover back to back in verses. So if you read that as the same person, then it's talking about Solomon. If But it could be that the king likes her, but she likes someone else. And so I'm, I'm not going to comment anymore on that. Um, that's, I guess, the understanding I'm sticking with for myself. But you can think whatever. I don't know that it really matters, which is why I'm going to stop talking about it. Okay, and to sum up, I've, I've gone 11 minutes already, and... Uh, I haven't really talked too much about the actual chapter, but the first chapter, we see that this young man and young woman are very captivated by each other. And they describe that in, in ways that are unique to the time, but, but they're absolutely captivated by the other. And just about everybody kind of uh, 
knows what's that that's like. They're just coming into each other's presence at this point. And then we're on to chapter two. And so this chapter, they're basically wooing each other. Um, you know, they're falling for each other and they're becoming more connected. They're not just interested. They're now, you know, they're, they're now very much pursuing each other. And then we're on to chapter three. And this first part it is a very good allegory for uh, God. Like we have to search out God or Jesus, how, you know, however you like to look at that or sometimes, you know, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. Um, but he, he, he is magnanimous in his grace at times and his mercy in making himself easy to find. Um, but, uh, but in general, we have to seek him. He wants a, a two-way relationship. He doesn't want to just be the all-powerful overlord where we have to do what he says because he's so obviously mighty and we're so obviously insufficient. He wants a relationship. Just like if a, if a man is you know, trying to dominate a woman and and saying, you have to go with me because I'm the king or something like that. Um, that's not going to be very attractive to, to most women. Um, you know, if I make him overbearing enough, uh, it's not gonna be attractive to any woman. Right. Um, and so it's more like a relationship of, God wooing us and us wooing God and us each pursuing each other. And so you see that here in this chapter. In the end, uh, they talk about Solomon, his power, and the young woman telling the other young woman to come out and see him. So again, that kind of implies this is Solomon. Um, but it, but let's use Solomon as an example of what I was just saying. Um, if Solomon... I don't know how he took all those wives and all those concubines, but being king in those days meant he could literally drag a woman out of her family's household. And, and I mean, it wouldn't probably be kicking and screaming because, um, like he's the king and you just have to do what he says, but there'd be a little bit of kicking and screaming, right? I don't want to go and be one of his wives. Now, now some women might think that sounds wonderful to to go be a princess, you know, but, um, but there certainly would be others say, no, I don't want to go do that. And so that wouldn't be, um, you know, that, that wouldn't be love, right? That would just be kind of power and lust. Um, but if Solomon did approach the same girl and woo her, that would be a totally different relationship. Because then Solomon, the king, is is putting himself out there as, look, you can take me or reject me. And if you reject me, it's going to hurt. I'm the king, but you, this little peasant girl, we'll make her a peasant girl, can, can totally destroy my heart uh, if you say no. But I, I really see amazing qualities in you, and I, you know, I want to pursue you as a wife. And, um, and then they, they have... Uh, equal standing there in that love so in that you see in that way of relationship how God has um, surrendered his heart a little bit to us it doesn't change the fact that he is all powerful God Um, 
that he can end our life in a second if he so chooses. That in the end he will judge whether we chose him or not. And he will judge in how much of our life did we choose him or not. And where where we're placed in eternity based on our relationship. He is that all-powerful judge. That's very real. But at the same time, he wants us to want him. He wants us to love him. He wants this two-way relationship. And he, so in, in that way, he's putting his heart on the line for me and for you. And so we kind of can see that picture in, in this, uh, this wooing of the man and the woman. And, and in that way, I think it's helpful to think of the man as Solomon because that, that picture of an all-powerful king getting down on his knee and, and saying, you know, I really like you is, uh, I think, a good picture of God uh, coming to us and, uh, and wooing us, which he does. Um, you, it's, it's a two-way street. Again, we, we have to seek him or he's, you know, he loves us because he made us. But if we don't care about him... He's going to put his attention on those who do care about him. Um, so we have to pursue him. But then he also pursues us in a, a really powerful way. And, you know, again, like that picture of a king saying, uh, put all my other, all my power, all my wealth, all everything aside. I'm interested in you. So that's a, a great picture. And then we're on to chapter four. So we see in this chapter that they were married somewhere along the way. And, um, and it just continues with this love story and love poetry and then we're on to chapter five i've heard stories in the older days like people that aren't really much older than me but i guess just depending on how i hate the word concert certain words have a lot of like meaning but conservative church is a I guess a standard meaning where they weren't even uh, allowed to read this book if they were single <laughs> because it, it gets a bit graphic um but uh anyways they're married and so so be it um i <laughs> i don't know the imagery just cracks me up all the words that they use but um but you know they here they continue on they're you know they're married and they're they're having a, a wonderful marriage and then um the man does come to the woman and i don't know in my mind this part starting with verse 2 does imply that this man probably had more than one wife, because why does he not, they're married, but, uh, and again, I think this may come down to the fact that, hey, this is a collection of poems, and if you try to read it as a story, it gets confusing, so, you know, I'm not, I'm gonna hold on to this loosely, but, um, but it seems odd that they wouldn't have the same home if they're married, um, I, although if you had lots and lots of wives, you know, that's probably how it goes. I don't know. Um, but the, the man comes, it's just a good story because he comes to her, um, desiring her and she doesn't have time for him right now. It, it's not convenient. And, and so he turns away. And again, this is God, like God wants us. But if we say, you know what, I'm too busy with these other things, right? Of course, we never say this, right? It's just how we are. I've got this other stuff I'm interested in right now. Of course I love you, God. I'll get back to you. Well, okay. I'm, I'm going to go over here. You know, I mean, obviously God's everywhere, so it's not a perfect analogy. But um, but God calls to us. It's up to us till we respond. And it's up to us how much we respond. 
And so here she realizes, oh no, what did I do? I want, I, you know, I want my husband back. Why, why did I turn him away? And so she goes running after him. And then she, we see there's severe consequences. The night watchmen uh, beat her for this. And uh, for, I guess, being out. I guess she wasn't allowed to be out that late. I'm not sure. But, but they beat her up. And uh, so there's consequences for her turning away her, her husband. Which, again, this is a good allegory for uh, turning away the king of kings. And she's kind of desperate, and then the other women, uh, or the chorus, are saying, well, what makes your love so special? And then she goes on to describe just how wonderful her lover, or her husband, or the king of kings is. And then chapter 6 starts with her, the young women again saying, what, you know, which way did he turn so we can help you find him? Where has your lover gone, a woman of rare beauty? So they're, they're on her side now, she's convinced them, he's worth finding and she seeks him and she finds him among the lilies and then she sees she hasn't lost his love he still loves her so again this is god is always when we turn back to him because unfortunately i we all in some way or another you know i'm hoping to raise my kids where they always pursue the lord with just a dogged passion that they that he is always supreme in their lives because that certainly wasn't my story um but even even then, if that's the case, there's there's always going to be times when the Lord kind of, where you realize or the Lord brings you to realize, hey, I'm kind of living for myself here, not the Lord. And he straightens you out. It's just a part of the faith walk. And there's levels of these things. So my hope would be for my kids that the levels are far beyond even what I can imagine. But there's always deeper realms of his life, his existence. And uh, he calls us into those things. So then verse 8, this is Solomon saying he's got 60 queens and 80 concubines at that point in his life, but he chooses her above all? Or is that a young man saying, Solomon's got 60 queens and 80 concubines, but I think you're better than all of them. And uh, chapter 6 ends with everyone kind of wondering about the uh, this young woman. And then we move on to chapter 7. So he describes us, her, in, in ways that today would be kind of considered ridiculous, but are talking about things of great power, of great wonder or delight. He's just describing different aspects of her character. But instead of pointing to her character, he's He's pointing to her physical properties and then and then using uh, illusions, which again sounds strange, but but what he meant was to describe the wonder of these things in the in the natural and how the essence of who she is is reminds him of these wonderful delights. And remember, she didn't think herself worthy of this. And so if we you gotta you know it's hard to, these illusions are so, it's hard to miss, you know, take this, but if you just keep it simple, that, that he is overwhelmed with his love for her, and you apply that from God to us, and you remember she was, she did not think she was worthy, and we know that in our flesh, we are not worthy of everything God plans for us, but his plans, his love for us is greater than we can imagine, and his plans for our eternity are more magnificent and amazing than we can imagine. And he built us to be perfect for these plans. And the reason we're not is because we were born into a fallen world and a fallen family 
beset by sin. And so his whole plan is to pull us out of that so that we are this perfect bride for him. And so that this, this story, if, if thought about in those lines, is, is very powerful. And you see she's captivated by this love and, and she's all in. And then we go to chapter 8. If this is meant to be one long story, then, then this seems very odd to us. But apparently um, a man could not walk with his wife together down the street, like holding, you know, it's just a what, public display of affection, is that what it's called? Um, th- that was just a no-no, I guess. Whereas if you're a brother and sister, you could absolutely hold hands and stuff as you walk down the street. Um, if it's a collection, then, you know, it doesn't necessarily apply to the rest of the story. And you see the chorus or the the women of the town are all saying, look, look at this. Who is this sweeping in on the arm of her lover? Um, and, uh, if, again, if we look at that as all of creation longing to see, um, the revealing of the sons of God as, uh, Romans 8 talks about um all of creation groaning waiting for this to happen that this this is a reality that that will bring the fullness and the the um the purpose for all of creation and then all of creation waits for this well then you see the these these women kind of looking on to this in excitement as a good picture of this this is not only what we were made for, this is what everything was made for. And so everything will be fulfilled when we take our place as uh, the true spotless bride of Christ uh, with, uh, with those of us that are called and accept the call as matured sons of God within that. There's a great song that uses verse 6. Uh, maybe I'll play it tonight. I'll have to... Listen to it again, see if it's appropriate. Verse 7 says, A man can't buy love with all his wealth. It would be utterly scorned. You remember uh, Simon in the book of Acts, somewhere kind of in the middle. Um, uh, he's a sorcerer, and he once he, re- he comes to believe in Christ and get baptized. Um, but he had been a sorcerer for his life uh, previous to this. And once he finds out about... Um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he wants to buy it and buy the power to bestow this. And Peter just absolutely annihilates him because you can't buy this with money. You can't buy the love of God with money. God is God owns everything. He made everything. He's not a respecter. Anything you have, he's not a respecter of. What he is a respecter of is you willingly giving him your life. That he values very preciously. So now we're kind of back to Solomon. Solomon is rich and can afford to kind of do everything. And he he leases out to tenant farmers. If this is allegory, I'll just leave that. But, uh, but my vineyard is mine to give and Solomon need not pay a thousand pieces of silver. <laughs> so is she, is she uh, rebuffing Solomon or is she saying, hey, she, Solomon doesn't need to pay because I'm his. Anyway, so I'm said I wasn't going to get into that again. But I will give 200 pieces to those who care for his vines. I have no idea what that means. Um, Maybe she's talking about an actual vineyard. If she's talking about her love, I I don't understand what paying for for people, paying for courtiers maybe. Um, I I just don't know. 
And then the book ends with the young man calling out to her, come, you know, come let me hear your voice. And she's calling out to him, yes, come away with me, be like a gazelle or a young stag in the mountains of spices. And then it ends. It's this ongoing, uh, never-ending story of love. And again, if we apply that to our time with God, this is this is eternal. This love story is eternal. And um, um, there are peaks and valleys, but it, it leads always into a greater romance. And his love, the deeper we come into his love, the more amazed we, is and we are and the more fulfilled we are. And uh, that's it for Song of Solomon. Uh, God bless you.